We're going to start adult Sunday school right here this morning. We're doing things a little bit different. This is the first time. We're so out of uh, kilter, but this is our first time having adult Sunday school class in I don't even remember. Ross, when's the last time you taught to human beings besides cameras, hey? Ten years. Ten years. Okay, so there you go. Life was good 10 years ago. Amen. All right. So we're going to have, this is, uh, we have just, as far as I can tell, two, just two folks visiting with us. Thank you, Don and Shirley, being with us this morning. You're very welcome. This is our adult Sunday school class. Everyone else is scattered throughout the building with their teachers. We're going to go for just a little about 935. We're going to finish up in uh, the adult Sunday school and the other classes also this morning. Um, Brother Ross is going to come teach. I just want to uh, give a couple announcements, and then we'll get right into it. Normally, we sing a song or two, and uh, but we're still trying to get back. Remember, be flexible with all these weird changes and things. So, All right, Thursday night, we'll meet right here again. We had a wonderful turnout, wonderful turnout for a Thursday night. Bible study went very well. Lots of questions, lots of comments, and lots of uh, back and forth. It was really great. We had a tremendous 55 plus meeting it was awesome Friday night and and I know I know you can't believe this I know you don't believe this true but I promise you before the Lord I'm not lying I qualify for 55 plus it's true (laughs) Uh, here we thought Michelle what was dragging me in that's right that's right so actually vice versa okay so Thursday night we'll have Bible study right here and remember we're to be a people of prayer amen we're to be a people of the book and so we need to come and study the book and be a people on our knees in prayer to the king of kings and and Thursday night is when we pray collectively to our God so please come out study the Bible we'll study the book of Jonah we'll do our survey in the book of Jonah this uh, Thursday night Call to glories are in. Does anyone need a call to glory? I have loads of call to glories this month. Anyone need one? Would anyone like one? Where? Yes, sir. Okay. Does anyone need one for a friend? Maybe someone you don't know that you'd like to give, or someone that doesn't come that you'd like to give one to. We have plenty. Yes, you're very welcome to take one also. So, all right. You know what? We have so many. There's two. All right. There you go. Super. Okay, anyone else need a call to glory? Yeah, okay, Connie, all right. Morning, how you guys doing? Good to see you, good to see you. Hey, how are you? Good to see you, there's two, okay? Good to see you, good to see you, brother, amen. Good to see Jesse here. Is your mom here yet? I haven't seen her yet. Okay, good to see you, man. Good to see you, brother. All right, okay, and I, you know, without further ado, I think I'm gonna have Ross come on up this way, um, get ready. Offering last week was $4,489.78. Lowell, thanks for the 78 cents. Good man, all right, okay. Uh, Brother Ross is gonna come teach us the Bible. Looking forward to studying. You have your ears open, your pencils ready, and we'll get started. Thank you, brother. Good morning. (laughs) Anybody like the smoke? I don't. (laughs) I really don't like the smoke. So if you can uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets. (laughs) What's that? Light mic's not on? All right, maybe turn it up if somebody can't hear. Book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. 
You have the same Bible as I have. It's on page 417, 1417, but it'll do you absolutely no good. Let's pray before we start, all right? Father, we praise you that we can meet. Thank you for all these folks that have come out this morning. Your people, Lord, your church. This is your place, Lord, and we've come to worship you. And uh, right now we've come to uh, study your word, and hopefully we can learn from it. But we can only do that, Holy Spirit, if you teach uh, teach each of us here. Please, please teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you found the book <coughs> of Jonah? Uh, we're going to have to read, uh, uh, we're going to have to read, uh, today's lesson, by the way, is, is, uh, is talking about uh, the intervention of the, uh, of the God of grace. The intervention of the God of grace. So let's, uh, we've got quite a long um, reading this morning. Uh, I'm going to read the whole of chapter 1. If you'll take your Bible and follow along or just listen, God's Word says this. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken." Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us and that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for those for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which has made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that they fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and it was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to, the, to land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried into, unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased 
from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now last time I started this, <clears throat> this series about Jonah, um, I, want, uh, I want to examine the grace of God through the story of Jonah, the grace of God through the story of Jonah. Now here we have a clear picture. We have a clear picture of what sin is. Sin is running from God. Grace is God's pursuit. Grace is God's pursuit in order to stop our self-destructive behavior. And in this study, I want, to, I, I want to present two images, two images. The first image is the image of a fugitive. Now, a fugitive, of course, is someone that's broken the law, and they're running. They're trying to get away. And that, of course, is a picture of, of sinners, right? And the other picture I want, one of a fugitive, the second image I want to, to uh, present is uh, the image of a lifeguard, a lifeguard. And I mentioned last time that uh, I, I'm a very, very poor swimmer, and I don't know much about swimming, but I do know that lifeguards uh, have techniques that they use to save a drowning person. And this represents the grace of God, God rescuing a, a drowning person. And in this story, of course, it's Jonah. But we're going, to, uh, uh, we're going to continue on and present some of the ways that God intercedes with Jonah. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the intervention of the God of grace. Now, what does intervention mean? Now, the only illustration that I have is a very strange one, and uh, I don't particularly want to use it, but it's the only one that I can, uh, that, that makes me picture what an intervention is. An intervention describes a moment when a group of friends or family come to a, an alcoholic or a drug addict or, and confront that person uh, with the destructive behavior that they are participating in and that the pain that they're causing. You see, when drugs or alcohol rule somebody's life, they don't think straight. They blame others. They deny they have a problem. And the goal of the intervention is to wake that person up to the fact that they, have really, that they really have a problem and that they might enter a treatment pr a program. In the book of Jonah, we see God doing that exact thing. We see the fugitive Jonah, and he, his, man, his life is spiraling out of control. He's going crazy. It's out of control. And then we see the picture of the lifeguard, a loving God, who stages an intervention to wake him up and to rescue him. <clears throat> now, most of us probably know the story of Jonah, that <clears throat> we see that God calls <clears throat> tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. He refuses to go, and he takes off. And he goes down to Joppa, and he boards a ship, uh, at this heading to Tarshish. Tarshish 
if you look on a map of the Mediterranean, Tarshish, they believe was Spain. So he was going from one end of the Mediterranean to the other. It was probably the end of the world is where he was going. And so he gets in the boat. Uh, he goes down underneath, or he goes into the, the, the bottom of the boat. And, uh, and of course, God sends a storm. Uh, the sailors wake Jonah, and that's what we, we're reading about. Uh, they tell him who, you know, ask who he is, what he's been doing, and so forth. And, the, of course, he throws, he's thrown overboard, and he is swallowed by a great fish that God has sent to do that. Now, this, that's Jonah. That's Jonah. But what about us? What about us? Can we think in our minds what how we're similar to Jonah? Do we ever run from God's commands? You ever run, God's told you to do something and you know he has, but you just don't do it, or I don't do it. Do we often justify our sins? Do we call them little mistakes, you know, slip-ups, errors of judgment, instead of calling them what they are? Or do we get angry do we get angry when someone, a fellow Christian maybe, points something out in our lives that's not good? How do we react? So I'm going to talk today. I want to talk about interventions of God. That's the title of our message, the interventions of God. I'm going to talk about three things. Three things about the interventions of God. The first one is the necessity of God's interventions the necessity of God's interventions. Now, there's two reasons why uh, God needs to intervene in our lives. The first reason is this. All of us have critical areas in our hearts that resist God. I think all of us can say, wow, I can obey God with this, but boy, when it comes to that, you know, don't mention it. Is there parts of the Bible that you don't like to read and you sort of skip over that part? I think all of us have areas in our hearts that resist God. In Jonah 1 verse 3, it shows, it shows that Jonah resists God and refused to obey. Now, last time I talked about Nineveh, and I'm not going to redo that one, but Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was an extremely evil city. It was a very luxurious and, uh, city, and they were educated people, but they were, they were wicked. They were the Israelites' worst enemy. They were known for torturing people. They were just evil. And it appears that they're evil, that God had noticed they're evil, and they've reached a tipping point God says, okay, this is it. This is it. You have one last chance, and I'm going to send Jonah. I'm going to send Jonah. And unfortunately, when you look at this, if you'll just turn over maybe in your Bible to Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this. Uh, this is Jonah, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, that's Jonah praying unto the Lord, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew 
that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. He, he hated the, Jonah hated the uh, Ninevites so much, and he realized that God was gracious and might forgive them, but he hated them so much. See, the root of Jonah's problem was he was self-righteous. Last time, uh, our pastor said that he's racist, and that's exactly what he was. Not me, Jonah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. You can straighten it out. All right. Uh, see, he, 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 <clears throat> he thinks he's better. He thinks he's better than the Ninevites because of his race. He was a Hebrew. And his religion... See, he doesn't understand grace. He thinks he deserves grace, but the Ninevites don't. See, that's justice when you're getting what you deserve. So the backdrop of going to Nineveh is what it's about, about this whole book, is about an intervention of God. God chasing after Jonah to wake him up. Because you know something? God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. Jeremiah 17 says this, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, when I was a, a relatively new Christian, I didn't believe this verse. I really didn't believe this verse. I thought to myself, Okay, Ross, you're a pretty good guy. You don't beat up your wife. You don't rob banks. You don't kill people. You don't have a, you don't have a, 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 a heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I didn't believe that, and it took me years as a Christian to realize this verse is absolutely true. All of us, when you examine your heart, I mean, how many, how many of us hold grudges? We have evil thoughts. We're critical of others, and we do it all the time. That's a wicked heart coming out, and we all have one. This is one of those verses in the Bible that I don't like, but it's probably a verse that people should ponder, should sit aside and read it and say, Lord, where is my heart wicked? God knows our hearts. So that's, we're talking about the necessities of, of God's intervention. So each of us have, have a critical areas in our heart that we need to be examined and to be changed. The second reason is, uh, is that unresolved sin gets worse over time. See, Jonah just didn't say no. Jonah decided to run away to the other end of the world. And every action that he had made it worse. And I mentioned last time that the, uh, there's a wonderful play on words about the word down, which keeps on being repeated in this, that Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the, the, into the, uh, the, the hole of the boat. He goes down into the water. And he goes down into the belly of the fish. So, sin always gets worse. 
Sin gets worse if you stick it where. See, sin, sin doesn't kill us like a bullet. Sin kills us like a poison in a glass of your favorite beverage. That's what sin does. It tastes good going down. We don't feel it, but it's inside you. And it's slowly killing you and me. It's slowly getting worse. See, when, if you think of this, dishonesty as a teenager can leave, lead to a life of lies and deceit and theft. Viewing pornography can end up with an affair that destroys a, a marriage, children, a family. Bitterness towards a father can end up with a lifetime feud. And you hear of people that haven't talked to their parent. That's, this is not just sons, but it's daughters. Haven't talked to their mother or their father for 30 years. That's because sin, bitterness, gets worse. It gets worse. And uh, most of us remember, or, or have been, had heard sermons about Hebrews 12, 15, which talks about a root of bitterness springing up to trouble you and defiling you. See, when we harbor bitterness, you know what we're saying to God? When we're bitter against someone else or someone who's hurt someone we love, you know what we're saying to them? God, I'm happy to receive your forgiveness. Man, but don't expect me to extend it to someone else. That's what we're saying to him. Don't expect me to extend forgiveness to them. But I want it myself. That's exactly what Jonah did, right? He wanted him for himself, but man, those invites, no chance. That, I don't want it for them. And we have the, in Matthew 18, we have the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is exactly what it is where the master forgives him this huge debt, and then he comes along and won't forgive a little debt from, a, from someone else. That's what Jonah did. See, Mona, many of us, we don't think we need an intervention, but one of the greatest signs that we do need one is that we believe we don't need one. See, the God of grace, and that's what we're talking about, grace in the book of Jonah. See, he will not let us keep on poisoning ourselves. He won't. And that's what Jonah, if you turn back to <clears throat> Jonah 1 verse 4, it says, it talks about Jonah running away and his life spiraling out of control. But then it says in verse 4, but. That's one of the most wonderful words in the whole Bible. You know, that's what the Bible's about, is but. But. Where did you come from? But the Lord. The, but the Lord pulled me out of this. He pulled Jonah from his trouble when he was running from him. What about you? What about me? But the Lord, that's the Bible. God's the chance, uh, God's the, the God of the second chance. 
He, he pursues us. He pursues his people. He pursues, pursues lost sinners. But, but the Lord pursues us from destroying ourselves. So that's the, the, talking about the necessity of God's intervention. Now I want to talk about Anybody have any comments, by the way? I, this is great having people here. Uh, I've, been, <laughs> I've been teaching this lesson with nobody else in the building, and, I'm, and, and I ask a question, and, of course, nobody's there to answer. Any comments by anybody? <clears throat> Excuse me, the smoking is not good for my throat. Hold on one sec, please. I have, uh, the pastor just asked, why would God use Jonah? And actually, I have a whole lesson on exactly what that is about, of how God uses stupid people like you and me, how he uses us when we only partially obey what he asks us to do, and how he uses faltering speech to, to, uh, to present something. And, you know, you may have, have tried to witness to someone and, they, uh, and, and you're bumbling and you don't know the right words to say. And then the person comes back two weeks later, you know, you said exactly what I needed to hear. You think, what happened? That wasn't me. And of course it wasn't you. It was God, the Holy Spirit. But that's, a, that's another lesson. We're falling apart here. I think we're falling apart here, Josh. <laughs> it's okay. I can do it. All right. The method of God's intervention. God has many methods by which he pursues people who run from him. Uh, just like the, I mentioned before about the lifeguard image. Lifeguards have lots of techniques they can use to, because if they don't do certain things, the person can overpower them that's drowning. So God's got lots of, uh, of, uh, of techniques that he uses. But you know the primary technique he uses? The primary method he uses is by blessing us, blessing our lives with kindness. He showers blessing on us, like, like life and breath and food and clothing and laughter and jobs and family. See, his kindness is intended to turn our hearts back to him. Amen. Romans 2.4 says this, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's God's goodness. That's the main method he uses. Another method he uses is to bring happiness into our lives. Happy things. He brings them in to our lives. And why does he do that? Because when we discover that those happy things that he brought in don't fulfill our joy, we will turn to him because he's the source of joy. He's the source of joy. Happiness is just things, you know, you win a lottery, whatever, if you buy lottery tickets. That's a happy thing, but uh, most people just waste all the money. But anyway, the idea of God, he uses that to bring us 
to him, to himself. So the question <clears throat> we need to ask ourselves is, what happens when we take his kindness for granted? And this is what this lesson's about. Intervention. God, just like Jonah, he did to Jonah, he brings a storm into our lives. See, some Christians believe this, that all good things from, from, from God and that all bad things come from chance occurrences or from Satan. That's not true. God brings bad things into our lives. But we have to remember, for a Christian, for a Christian, nothing comes to Christians, nothing comes to Christians except it has passed through God's hand. Nothing comes to Christians except it has passed through God's hand. And in verse 4 of chapter 1, we see that in this case with Jonah, God sends a great wind, a mighty tempest. The ship is about to be broken up. And experienced seamen were afraid. And Jonah awakes to see that God is breaking up his entire life. This is an intervention. But there's important, I'm going to take a little trail. But not all the storms in our lives are the result of sin. Not all storms storms in our lives are the result of sin. Now, Job is the perfect example of that, right? Not everything is uh, the storm in our life that, we, that, that that's happened. Is from, it's not... Uh, it doesn't mean that there's sin in our lives. So how do we... How do we know that the storm in our life is the result of sin. How do we know that the storm in our life is, is the result of sin? Now, if we have direct disobedience to God, God's told us to do something, and we've just ran from it. We did what Jonah did. He ran from it. He disobeyed. God will make it clear. God will make it clear. See, Jonah, if you look back in verse 12... Uh, in the end of verse 12 of chapter 1, it says, For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Jonah knew. God made it clear. Tell you, Pastor, do you ever punish, have you ever done this? Have you ever punished Liam and spanked him or give him a quiet time or stopped him from going out or doing something in his life and, 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 and disciplined him and then said to him, Liam, you just figure out, you just figure out what you've done wrong. Never. <laughs> just figure out what you've done wrong. Have we ever punished our kids and do that? No. So our Heavenly Father is a lot smarter than we are. He never, he always makes it clear. He always makes it clear. So if you're running from God and God's brought a storm, he makes it clear. But like Jonah, when we continue to directly disobey the clear commands of God, he sends storms. And God's storms are, they're unexpected. They could be a car accident, an illness, a loss of a job, a collapse of a relationship, 
The other thing that they are, they're painful, very painful. It could be loss of money, loss of reputation, loss of friends, loss of a sense of being in control. See, the purpose of the storm that God sends is to wake us up. It was the only way he could stop, uh, uh, that God could stop Jonah from running was to send this storm. So if there is a storm in your life, if there is a storm in your life, there is a storm in your life, it may be, like I said, it's not a guarantee, it may be that God is, is, is trying to wake you up or to wake me up. The final thing, we have a necessity, we have a method, and now we come to the best part, the motivation behind God's intervention in our lives. What is the motivation? And this is the most important part of God. See, a family, when we go back to addiction uh, example, see, a family that stages an intervention in uh, a person's life is showing love. They're showing love. And God's storms are storms of love. It's tough love. And we use that term, right? Tough love, but it's love. But you know what tough love does? Tough love shows the depth of God's love. See, it takes a deep love to intervene in someone's life when they haven't asked for it and when they respond in anger. That's a deep love. But notice another thing. The intervention in Jonah's life, see, it's not an act of judgment. If, if God was angry, he could have just killed Jonah and Joppa if he wanted to, but he didn't. He wanted Jonah alive. And in the midst of the storm, this is one of the most, in the midst of the storm, God provided a rescue. He sent a fish. This is one of the neatest, really, one of the, <laughs> I think if Bible stories, this must be one of the top three and of the people are, unsaved people know about Jonah and the great fish or the whale. But see, this is not, this is not punishment. God is not punishing Jonah. It is discipline. See, punishment is what a judge gives a, a, judge gives a criminal to pay for his crime. Discipline is what a father gives his children to enable them to mature. Different motive. Punishment is motivated by justice. Discipline is motivated by love. Someone wrote this, the storm in your life is not to pay you back for your sin, but to bring you back from your sin. Ooh, I don't have much time. All right. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to turn in the, in the Bible uh, to Hebrews chapter 12, but if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, you will, maybe later you can look at it, uh, verses 5 to 11, it talks about God disciplining his child. See, if there's no storms in your life and in my life, if there's no storms, it could mean that you're not his child. 
And that's what, if you read Hebrews, and I'm not going to do it today because I have to finish in a minute, <clears throat> it could be that you're not his child because every father, every father disciplines their, their children and for the reason of making them mature. So finally, in conclusion, conclusion, when we run from God, this is what we do. We justify our sin, we deny that we have a problem, uh, and as I showed from the illustration, we are slowly poisoning ourselves. And out of love, out of love, God stages interventions in our lives. And this is, like I mentioned, the loving discipline of a father who cares too much for his children to allow them to continue in their self-destructive ways. So, final question. How do we respond to the storm? Do we get bitter against God? Do we deny that we have a problem? Do we accuse him of being cruel and continue in our sin? Or do we stop justifying ourselves? Do we stop laying blame on others? Do we admit our fault? And finally, do we allow God's treatment plan for us to begin?